Howdy doody listeners, it's me, Jinx Monsoon, here with a brand new episode of Hi Jinx with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, our guest, actor Theo Germain, is going to talk all about working on the shows The Politician, Work in Progress, as well as tell us what it's like subverting gender norms in Hollywood today. And we're going to discuss one of my very favorite subjects. Bet Midler. So hunker down and sink your teeth into some new hijinks. Forever. Dog. everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by actor and hottie Theo Germain. Hi Theo! Hi Jinx! <laughs> You did it perfect. <laughs> oh, it's like you're an actor or something. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, Theo, my listeners will likely know you from Netflix's The Politician, where you play James Sullivan, a focused and driven young campaign manager. How did that role come to come to exist? How did you end up in that role? What was that experience like? I can honestly say it was a really, really wild experience for me. Um, I was working in Chicago as an actor and I had primarily done stuff on stage, but I had an agent and I was like on the grind and doing tons of auditions for, you know, TV and film and things like that. And honestly, just like wasn't booking things. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's 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 it, it's still kind of like slim pickings for casting opportunities for trans and non-binary people to a certain extent. It gets a little bit better every year, but that was 2018. So it was like, mm. I just got this breakdown uh, one day and the character listing was for James, who was a transgender male, but it, it wasn't something that was that was talked about in the sides. And, and he just kind of got to like, you know, be this asshole campaign manager who got to <laughs> yes. do his thing. Uh, and I was like, oh, this is really exciting. Like, I don't have to talk about gender for once, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> because because I, I do all the time and people <laughs> recruit you to do right. People recruit us to do it all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just had I just did a self tape. Um, I did it on a day. It was like a really, really, really hot day. And I had three auditions in one day. And this was I think, the last one that I did. And I was like. Uh, on my bike and biking around the city to get from one audition to another audition. Um, I taped for this in my agent's office. I was real nervous about it. Uh, we did the take. We did, you know, I probably did like eight takes. And um, the show was getting really, really close to filming. It was supposed to start filming basically within the week that I had auditioned. And I kind of got a crash course about, you know, what happens if you're going to get cast in a show, mm -hmm. uh, like instantly. Um, so I taped for the show on Thursday, like felt on a Thursday, felt okay about it. Uh, and, and 24 hours later, um, got a call from my agents who were like, they really liked your tape. 
Uh, we might be hearing more about this this weekend. We don't know exactly what's going on. And I just was like, oh, God, what's happening? Um, but I was really excited. Uh, and then that weekend learned that I was going to be getting a screen test. But instead of having to fly to Los Angeles or New York, they were like, we're just going to use your tape. Um, and screen tests, I guess, kind of go different ways all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, so this was, but this, this, this was a, a, an interesting first experience to have with getting this far in a, a casting situation. Um, mm -hmm. so they sent this tape, this, uh, self tape in, used it as a screen test and our screen tested it. And, um, like a day after that happened, I was at work and got another call from my agents who were like, we got to talk to you after you get off work. You know, there's some more information that we learned about like what's going on with this casting. And I called my agents after work and was like, what's going on? And they basically were like, we don't know exactly what happened, but you have an offer um, and they want to <laughs> give you the role. And I was like, it was like four days, four days of like going from, you know, I was like working in a coffee shop. I had finished a, I had finished a theater contract in the previous month. Um, and I was like, applying for food stamps because I was just, it was, it was, everything was up in the air. Um, and then all of a sudden I booked this really amazing job. And then they were like, uh, now you have to drop everything and move to Los Angeles now. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, what? Um, so I just kind of said yes to everything, <laughs> honestly, because I was like, you know, what are you going to do? This is an amazing opportunity. I grew up yeah. being a fan. I grew up being a fan of Ryan Murphy. Um, one of my favorite things that he's uh, done is Running with Scissors, um, mm -hmm. the movie. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite films. And I was like, you know, an American Horror Story fan. Um, I was really into Glee. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I can't believe this is happening. And I got off the plane in Los Angeles, immediately went to a costume fitting and just like started wow. instantly. And then was filming like a week later. And That's it was the intense. first, it was so intense, honestly. Like I, like looking back, I realized that like there was a lot of, there was a lot of anxiety that I was dealing with and like a lot of, um, you know, imposter syndrome that I think I dealt with too, because I was, I was like with veteran actors who were super famous and like, not, not just that, but like epic people like Jessica Lange, mm -hmm. you know, um, who I got to, I got to film a couple of days with, which was like really, really exciting. Um, so yeah, it was like this, uh, sometimes people will be like, you know, what was your experience getting cast in the show and like all of this stuff happening and I'll, I'll respond and I'll just say, have you ever seen the movie, babe, pig in the city? <laughs> um, because I, I'm from a really small town. I'm from a really, really small town. Like I grew up in a very small town in central Illinois that has like 5,000 people. There were not really a lot of opportunities for art. Um, I, you know, was in like a, a dinky little theater, you know, theater club at my high school where, mm -hmm. you know, the flats that we were using to do shows were so old that they were falling apart. Um, I also was like really excited. I, I'm always excited to do content that like has any level of like risque in it because the place where I grew up was also so conservative that like they wouldn't even let us do zombie prom. Um <laughs> as a musical like we were constantly doing things like the sound of music um, yeah you know over and over again so like it, it literally was like a whirlwind like I am not in Kansas anymore sort of situation it changed my life radically 
what did you have to leave behind? Like, uh, I can't even imagine leaving um, the city you were living in four days li- later, just being thrown into LA culture. Uh, I had to leave my, I mean, I, I it's not like I, I left, I, I guess it's mm, not like yeah. I, I left like I felt anything behind because I was still talking to folks, but I definitely felt like, I definitely felt like I, I, I chose to leave some socializing behind because it was mm. like, you know, you, I didn't know when I was going to come back. I just knew mm. that I was moving at some point. So it was the potential for me to just like have no idea when I was going to see people in person again, because yeah. most of my, most of my friend base um, uh, and my partner, you know, live in Chicago. Uh, and I had been working in the theater community for like, two or three years. And there were a lot of connections that I'd made there. And I was suddenly going from a city that was very theater focused to something that was like, not, you know, mm-hmm. as theater focused and was more film and TV. And, and it also was maybe like leaving a little bit of a smaller mindset behind mm-hmm. uh, whether or not I was ready, <laughs> like actually ready to grow. Um, uh, yeah. I hope that makes sense. So like, like philosophically, philosophically, like there's, there's a lot that I felt like, uh, like I left behind and a lot that I was like, you know, are you going to be anxious about this and freak out about it? Or are you just going to be like, I got this, like, and even if I don't got this, I'm going to fake it until I make it. Yeah. Sometimes that's the best we can, we can do is just kind of fake it till we make it, especially when it's something that like, um, f- pursuing a career, um, as demanding as a, a TV entertainment career. Um, it really does kind of, it, it becomes all encompassing. But if you know that it's something that you want, it is ultimately you do have to make the decision, like, is this something I'm going to pursue? And um, knowing that I'm going to be kind of figuring it out as I go along. And um, I think one one similarity we might have is the concept of overnight success. <laughs> yes. Like you said you had about four days between auditioning and getting the role and having to pretty much change your whole lifestyle. And my my success was a little bit I had a little bit more time to adjust. You know, we filmed Drag Race and mm-hmm. then I had, I think, about five or six months before it started airing. And then when it started airing, it took a while for people to like kind of get into me, I guess. I wasn't one of the front runners right away. So it took a little while for people to kind of start getting on board the Jinx Monsoon train. But then when things started to pick up, it literally went from, I I lived my whole life in the Pacific Northwest and this is all I've ever known. And the next thing I know, I'm flying around the world and my schedule's crazy and every every queer person I er- interact with now has some understanding of who I am. And that really yes. shifts everything, you know, <laughs> and the queer community yeah. itself, even though it's a global community, I feel like it's also a very tight knit um, community. And it's not hard for information in L.A. to make it to New York within an hour, you know, and next thing you <laughs> yeah. know, you're your friends in yeah. London are texting you. Did you just film a pilot? You know, <laughs> so. yes. God, I mean, and that's and that's like I I'm not someone who's who's done. I've done burlesque. I've not done drag before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I imagine I honestly imagine that 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 your trajectory of work would be even more challenging than than just like going and doing acting because it's like you 
I don't know. That's just my thought. <laughs> is that is that is that I imagine that it is like it is like even more. You well, know, I it's harder. I don't know. I I, I I I was also working in theater before um before Drag Race, and that was the trajectory I was on. But I knew what I wanted to do was be a performer, and I I didn't necessarily care if that meant I was going to be doing drag or if I was going to be doing theater or film, film TV or film. Um, I just knew I wanted to be working as a professional performer for the rest of my life and I was going to take any path to get me there. So I was doing drag on the weekends and rehearsals for plays on the weekdays and then I'd have to take some time off of drag to do a musical or something. And then the next thing I know... Um, you know, drag took over and I was happy for that. But I do kind of miss the ability to show up, play a role, take the costume off. And then and then no one really is concerned with me anymore. Whereas Jinx and Jarek, <laughs> Jarek, the human who plays Jinx Monsoon, have merged into one. And now we are both Jinx 2.0. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and yeah, it's uh, it really it does change pretty much everything. And you mentioned imposter syndrome, and I only like kind of recently realized, oh, that's what that was. <laughs> oh, that nagging anxiety that I've tricked everyone into liking me. Okay, oh, it's a thing. <laughs> um, so absolutely hear you on all of that um the burning question in my mind is um how much if at all did you get to interact with Bette Midler and please tell me everything (laughs) oh um I gotta think uh so in season one they uh Bette Midler uh, Bette Midler's character and um well the the, the, everyone goes to New York new characters show up and Mm -hmm. I remember I remember running into that I think once at the very very end of season one and just getting to say hi mm-hmm. and I was like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> um I was I was really 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 overwhelmed by all of the really super famous people that were working on the show and then uh before we started season two um uh Bet runs a, an event there's a there's an organization that she runs that helps um uh, helps with like parks and like natural, mm-hmm. you know, natural land and things like that in, in, uh, in New York. So people have, you know, parks to go to and stuff like that. Um, and I went to a, like a Halloween ball that, uh, she hosted, um, before we started filming season two. Uh, so I went to this like really, really intense costume party. Um, <laughs> So this was a Halloween ball for the New York Restoration Project. Yes, it was like a okay. big fundraiser. Um, ben was performing uh, at you know at this because there were performances that were happening at the event. It was a dinner. Um, it was a costume ball. Uh, I dressed up like Coraline, <laughs> um, uh, and met her then, and she just like remembered who I was and was like, it's very nice to see you, Theo. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, and then I didn't have a lot of days working with her on season two, uh, but I got to have a couple of conversations with her and she was really cool. Um, but I didn't get to work with her as much as some of the other actors did just mm-hmm. because of, you know, how that, how the season was written. 
Um, but anytime that I did get to interact with her, I was really excited. And also it's just like, I, I just like, I'm, I'm not really someone who, who, who gets like, you know, very fanboyish because I'm always thinking about like, you know, if somebody is of this, you know, performance status or of this notoriety status, they probably deal with this stuff all the time. There's probably mm-hmm. people always being like, oh my God. But on the inside, I was like, hocus pocus like yeah. beaches like all of these oh. movies that i had seen growing up um and i also i also uh uh was really interested in her career because she's done so much and it's like it's like she's done a lot of things that are really successful she's done some things that are flops and like i'm very interested in in people who have this like diverse sort of career tra- you know career trajectory and she has a pretty diverse career trajectory oh yeah and, and a for lot so- of different kinds of things you know so it's cool yeah and for someone who kind of you know reads kind of matronly today because you know she I think she's in her 70s and you know but she still has so much vibrancy and so much like um sexuality and sex appeal and oh, everyone yeah. fell in love with her all over again for like the 18,000th time when she did Hello Dolly but I also just love knowing that her career started in bathhouses performing for queer men between their fuck sessions and and that's just that's something that you know we can never we must never forget Mm -hmm. that bet has been an ally from the beginning and i I think a queer icon who though being um a cis straight woman has been queer adjacent the entire time and to me she is just the patron saint of all things gay right now for me <laughs> yes i i also i didn't i didn't know that specifically until i think we started i think we started filming we did filming the fall of 2019 and then wrapped like right before covid got really really bad in the united mm-hmm. states and i was like oh my god you've got to be kidding me like she was working in bathhouses this is this is, <laughs> this is just like that's just what i wanted that's just how I wanted her to have started her career. And Bette Midler's just one of many um, superstar names on um, The Politician. Um, Judith Light, Gwyneth Paltrow, Ben Platt, and you mentioned Jessica Lange. Um, so are you pretty good at containing your your fanboy side? I'll be completely honest. When I meet a celebrity that, like, it's, it blows my mind that I'm meeting them, I have to get a little bit of gushing out of the way. Otherwise, I will fret about it for the rest of my life. Like, why didn't you tell Kathy and Jimmy how much you loved her in Hocus Pocus? You know, and I love how you can, it always comes back to Hocus Pocus, but. I mean, um, that movie is so iconic. You know, the, yeah. the, I mean, that movie, there's so many ways that it influenced me. And I think, I think especially the, the Doug Jones who plays Billy, mm-hmm. um, the zombie in that movie. I think I think that character specifically too made me be like, whoa, I want to dress up in costumes for a living. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and he's like um, the he's like the character actor for prosthetic work. Um I didn't realize until recently, unless I'm mistaken, but um if you watch Picard, no, it Discovery. Discovery. Discovery, yes. yes. If you watch Discovery, which, oh my God, Discovery, the queerest Star Trek show of the Star Trek yes. fanti- franchise. So much, um, so much I'm stuff. I'm so glad you're talking about Star oh, Trek. I love it. 
I love it so much because I'm 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 a Star Trek fan anyway, but Discovery is just like really leaning in to the queerness of Star Trek and what makes sense about being set so far into the future. It's like, of course, there's going to be more um, um, a, a wider breadth of gender representation and and sexuality and stuff in, in a sci fi future. And I'm glad we're finally talking about it. <laughs> Um, but he also plays a he, he plays an alien in that. I guess I don't know that. Yeah, he you plays call it Saru. an alien uh, in a. Yeah, <laughs> yes. he's a, a Kelpian. Kelpian, yes, yes, um, yeah. And it's amazing how much life he can breathe into a character, even though he's wearing like full body prosthetics. So um, yeah. I'm glad. <laughs> but we're not talking about him right now. We're talking about you. <laughs> the original question was, how do you contain that? Like, uh, how do you or do you contain that fanboy side when you're working with such big names? Uh, I honestly think that sometimes I will get, I, I can get a little shy and I'm like, oh, I just, I just like, what would be the, what would be the right thing to say that like wouldn't annoy them or something. And then I end up mm-hmm. kind of not saying anything. Um, and then sometimes I have internal panic because I'm like, mm-hmm. oh no, this person was really influential in my life. Like when I met um, Jessica Lang, I was, uh, we, we were filming one day and I, we, we were sitting next to each other uh, mm-hmm. and she was, she was eating some, it was like a lunch, I think she, it was a lunch break and um, she was eating some beans and rice and she was just super chill. <laughs> I was sitting next to her and like, and like trying to think of what I wanted to say to her. And then I remembered suddenly, like I had this flashback of when I was really, really little watching King Kong for the first time. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I realized I was like, I'm sitting next to somebody who was part of my queer awakening mm-hmm. as a child, because I remember her playing this character in King Kong and being like, whoa, this lady is really, really hot. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. And then she's right there. And I was like, oh, yeah. I had a crush on you when I was six years old, um, uh, which I didn't tell her, um, yeah. which I probably, which I probably would tell her now. Why yeah. Not? Um, I uh, I mean I definitely can I I can relate with like sometimes I have anxiety because I'm like oh my gosh if I say this it could be the wrong thing and then maybe yeah. I say it and then like a week later I'm like did I alienate that person did I make them feel uncomfortable but then if I don't say it I spend the rest of my life wondering like oh my gosh I I hope they know how important they are to me and it's always like such a a funny dance and I think um, performers who were a part of our queer awakening, or I also say like when I've met people that I l- used to lip sync to, like I almost oh, fainted wow. when I met Kristen Chenoweth because I lip synced to her for life for for wow. so much of my early life, and and like Devin Green um, as well, I lip synced to comedy videos of hers. So when I met her, I was like, I can't believe the voice that I know inside and out is like speaking to me right now. And it really, it really shrinks your world and blows your mind a little bit. (laughs) That's really surreal. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You also work on the show um, work in progress and um, the character you portray is non-binary. The character's name is Chris. Uh, Mm -hmm. He identifies as a trans man. So he's like, Mm -hmm. he's, you know, transmasculine. Um, but he is not the type of person who is very interested uh, in passing air quotes, you know, mm-hmm. super hard. Mm-hmm. He's not really interested in like, I want to specifically look this way. You know, he is someone who um, 
as like I interpreted him was Mm -hmm. very comfortable with most parts of his identity and um, was just, you know, kind of like a, an androgynous looking person who identifies mostly as male. Mm -hmm. You mentioned earlier, kind of like um, you, you have to talk about gender a lot because it kind of gets put on you to talk about gender. Mm -hmm. Um, Is that something that you enjoy? Do you, do you find it stressful or? (laughs) Um, It, Kind of, uh, kind of both. Sometimes I'm like, yes, I know what I'm talking about. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I talk about this a lot. I would like to talk about dogs or books or something else, yes. you know, or my favorite sport. Um, <clears throat> uh, but I uh, kind of doing stuff that it's funny that you said mascot. Um, cause I was, a, I was, I was a mascot in high school. Um, <laughs> um I, when I uh, came out initially, because of the area that I grew up in and because of the lack of experience that, or, or exposure that people around me, including some people in my family had had, there was a lot of like, what, what the hell is this? Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it was really, really like rocky and like really not very good. And so I think that's something that I started, something that I started doing when I was like 18, 19 years old was um, I, I started getting onto a lot of panels and started doing a lot of public speaking about trans health. And like, this is what the life experience of, you know, one type of trans person is. Um, so I'm really used to uh, kind of putting, you know, putting the the 101 or the 102 hat on to like talk mm-hmm. about gender or like, you know, if there's some kind of role where gender is a little more in your face, I'm like, that's something that I can, you know, that I, I can totally do. Um, but I think that it, it definitely gets tiring because, you know, there's so many people that are outside of your, there's so many people that are outside of your perspective who maybe are not doing any other research on their own besides like listening to what you are saying specifically, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Um, and so I guess that would lead me, lead me to say that I have felt kind of like put into a mascot or et cetera, et cetera position. Um, on occasion uh but it's kind of just the nature of the industry i think we're in this really we're in this really weird spot where it's like there's so much progress that has been made but there's so much progress that has not been made and there's Mm -hmm. like reversals that are happening in the country like with all the you know fucked up legislature that's happening um uh against trans youth um and I kind of just try to see if, you know, certain opportunities are, are worth it uh, to me. I kind of went off on a tangent there, but um, no, I, I yeah, I just, I, I think about it a lot. It's we're, we're in a really, really weird spot in the industry of, you know, performance. Um, and I think that extends, you know, that extends to a lot of commer- like more commercialized drag, you know, too, I think. Yeah. Um, well, I think we're at this place where, and I think progress ebbs and flows and sometimes we can lose sight of that especially when we're in a long upswing you know I think we experienced um and I don't want to necessarily attribute it to who was president at the time but more or less we experienced a a steady eight years of like an upswing Mm -hmm. and then as with so many things um but with progress when you experience a big upswing, you're going to experience the backlash and the pushback from it. 
um, from mm-hmm. people on the other side of pro- let's just people who are counter progress. I have no problem calling them that. Um, mm-hmm pushing back because they feel threatened, you know, and then we witnessed, um, we witnessed that in many big ways. And now we are at this very interesting time in, in mainstream media and mainstream entertainment where we see a lot of projects, um, making really good attempts at inclusivity and telling new stories and and letting people from those backgrounds and from those demographics tell their own stories. And then we also see a lot of tokenizing and a lot of like, um, we'll just plop one person in here to to show ourselves as progressive, but we're not actually yeah, doing any, any work beyond that, you know? Yes, and I that's- think- that's a, really that's a very thing. interesting time. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting time to be a non a gender non-conforming person, whether you're trans or non-binary or any way that you transgress the 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 gender binary and what we've been taught about gender. Um, it's a very interesting time because it's like you can find yourself either playing a catchphrase or you can pi- find yourself like being the spiritual guru who has to fix gender for everyone. <laughs> and, it's, it, and I just want to play roles that I like. You know? <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, a lot of, a lot of, um, I was having a conversation with one of my friends recently who is a uh, trans feminine non-binary person. Mm-hmm. And we were like, what do you get called in for? What do you get called in for? And I was like, I get called in for, for teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot, <laughs> which I'm like, oh, I get called in for a lot of teenagers. Um, and they were like, I get called in for like flamboyant gay characters, some trans characters, and I get called in for a bunch of doctors for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but still like, there's just, yeah, it's like, we are not getting the opportunities that like we truly want. Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, we're not going to because of the progress that has not been made. Mm-hmm unless we're like able to get more of us into leadership positions to like, write, you know, write, you know, write more stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, pretty much I get called in for drag queen roles and, um, That's it. and uh, yeah, I mean, pretty much. And I'm absolutely not complaining. Um, uh, like I've gotten to auditions for some really great things. And even when I don't get the role, it's exciting to even have gotten to this point, you know, where I'm being considered for something. Um, But mostly I get called in for drag queen roles. Occasionally that drag queen will also be non-binary and there will be some conversation about um, gender. But mostly what I want casting directors and writers and producers to start looking at is... um, maybe this character that you saw one way could be interpreted a different way. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, like what (laughs) I wish that performers had a little bit more agency in saying like, okay, I know you called me in for the drag queen, but I'd actually love to play the demon. And who says that a demon has to be gender conforming, you know, Mm -hmm. or like, um, and I do a lot of voiceover work and that's where I think I do, I flex my acting muscles actually the most is because um, I can, I can voice 
a, a, a huge variety of characters and what I look like and how I present is not always so important, you know? <laughs> and, and with animation period, it's like you just, you get more um, non-traditional roles. Like I, um, you know, I voiced like a hair monster on a kid's show once. <laughs> and it was like, I think she was, uh, I think she was, femme but i uh, she was a hair monster who cares <laughs> like, i just had to voice a hair monster that's that's as far as that conversation went so um so yes i think the consensus is we've made a lot of progress and damn do we still have a lot uh, uh, a lot farther to go <laughs> that I saw on um, Work in Progress, I think, I, I don't um, know, but it feels like it's written by people who share the experiences of the characters. Am I correct? <laughs> uh, the, a lot in the show is, um, there's a lot in the show that, that is kind of autobiographical, um, mm-hmm. and some of it is based, uh, based in experiences that Abby, the main character, star of the show, mm-hmm. writer, um, Fearless leader uh, has <laughs> some of them and that's are Abby McNanny McNanny Abby McEnany McEnany. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Chris is actually based off of a real person who Abby dated mm-hmm. uh, at one point, um, and uh, it was a similar sort of thing where so in in the show. Abby mistakes Chris for a very, very much lesbian, which is like mm-hmm. very similar to, to, I think my understanding of what happened when she met um, this person that she dated for a little while. Uh, I don't know exactly all of the, the details of relationships or things like that and how it lines up with what happens in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth in Chris because he was very, very, very much based off of someone that Abby knew um, who she still close with. Uh, and is 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 decent friends with um, and told me that she went to their wedding, uh, mm-hmm. which was really cool. Um, so yeah, yeah, Chris, Chris specifically, I mean, there's a lot of ways that that James was really, really exciting because it was like, oh, I just got to play this like snotty, you know, rich, you know, <laughs> like white mm-hmm. high school boy who like, uh, you know, enough said about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't have this. I didn't have this opportunity to do so in high school. This is very interesting. Yeah. Interesting, like being these, being being these shoes for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, Chris, Chris was very, very close to my heart because uh, he was a you know a midwestern, you know, a midwestern boy who clearly comes from somewhat of a traumatic background. Um, moves to Chicago to kind of you know find his community. Um, uh, make friends, live his life, just be himself. Um, he's very relaxed and comfortable with who he is. All of that just made me feel really excited. Um, the project started off as a, like a web series or a pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we filmed the pilot in 2018. So I actually filmed the first episode of work in progress was filmed before the politician. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pilot of work in progress, uh, got into a program at Sundance. And then from there was picked up to showtime. Um, and then the rest of the season was shot in the summer of 2019. Uh, but when I got to read for him the first time, I instantly was like, this, 
this is exactly what, you know, this is exactly the type of opportunity that I want to have. I cannot believe that this is available to me right now. Um, I was, I was so, so excited. I was going to say congratulations and thank you. And um, because I, 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 remember the episode it was a while that we watched it and um i it was one of those things my partner and i started watching it and then he had to go back to the uk and he can't um access it from whatever uk devices he's using (laughs) um so i have to wait to get back into it until he comes back but i remember watching the episode um where abby has the conversation with chris about being a trans man mistaken for a butch lesbian and I just, even though that's so different from my own story, I do like, I thought that's, I thought that scene played so well because it was two people having a conversation that I think were, we are sometimes scared to have with someone because we don't want to say the wrong thing. But yes. I do think these conversations when approached with love and compassion, um, you can you can make a mistake and you can figure it out through the conversation and don't be scared to have the conversation as long as you're willing to be like compassionate and empathetic and not like bring all of your own baggage into the conversation. Like I, I have lots of guys. Oh my God. I have lots of guys, but but I have, um, I I have lots of experiences with guys on like grinder telling me they're really into femme boys. And I'm like, well, I don't identify as a femme boy. I identify as a trans femme non-binary binary person and then they're like oh so you're a cross-dresser and I'm like well I'm a drag queen and um I don't use the term cross-dresser but I've had those conversations go in a really like positive way where they're just earnestly wanting to to understand better and then I've had those conversations go in less positive ways but what I liked about the scene and what I'm getting to is that Abby was like probably had never found um, himself attracted to a trans man man before, like was interested at first thinking that Chris was a butch lesbian. And then in the conversation and by the end of the conversation is like, wait, I am attracted to this person and I'm going to pursue this, even though it doesn't line up with what I previously thought was, you know, the extent of like a, a limitation for me. And I yeah. think more people are trans amorous than they would know because I think we are so taught what it means to be trans, what it means to be attracted to a trans person that we sometimes like put up a roadblock where there doesn't need to be one. And I loved watching a scene where that roadblock gets taken down and they say yes to this experience. And that's what I found yeah. really, really beautiful about it. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I, I I was excited by the writing in which that, you know, it's, it's like, instead of the character being like, oh, what does this mean? It was just like, well, I guess that, I guess that I'm someone who's into a lot of women and now I'm also into people who are trans and that's, that's just, that's just how it is. And, and that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a very specific example that is a white example, you know, um, and, and, but it, 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 it's a it's a it's positive representation because it's like I hope that people will will watch that and be like oh yeah like I don't I don't have to be 
like weird or go into a crisis or have shame because I'm attracted to a human being, you know, who maybe looks different than other human beings that I have been attracted to before. It's like, I'm, I'm someone who is like a very sexually fluid person. I have always Mm -hmm. been that way. And so like, it's, it's not something, that's not something that I understand when people are like, what does this mean if I'm into this person? Um, But, you know, I guess, I guess that that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, I grew up, I I came out at like 14 and had a very queer community here in Portland and met other people my age who are queer. And um, I've just known so many different people across the the whole um, LGBTQIA plus community from a very early age on. And even so, I had to unlearn a lot of things, you know, like even though I met trans people at age 14 who were my age and going through all the same life stuff I was going through and they were trans. It's like it wasn't until I heard the term non-binary that I was like, oh, there's a word for the way I feel as well, because I never thought I would I I never thought of coming out in terms of my gender because I thought, well, I'm not trans enough to call myself trans. And I don't want that you felt that way at some point. Well, no, and, just, you know, it's like, it's like, it's yeah. like we live in a society where like you are in, you know, it's like it, that, that's a thing. And I'm, I'm sorry that you felt, you know, that you felt unable to express yourself, you know, because of, because of those things. You know? Well, I mean, At the journey, yeah, I mean, like, and I'm, I, I'm sorry for that too, but then it's also like, um, I got to, because I didn't fully understand all this stuff about myself or embrace this stuff about myself until later in life, I got to be going through it in front of people. I mean, which was a double-edged sword. You know, I had a public career at that point. So I was kind of learning these things about myself while I had people watching me learn those things about myself. And so that can be stressful and anxiety-inducing, but also has allowed me to just by living my own story and just by telling my own story, then help someone else find that out about themselves even earlier in life than I did. And I think that's one of the beautiful things of, um, you know, um, when you just, when you live your truth unapologetically, sometimes that's enough to make positive change. And, and, and we talked about having to be a mascot or a figurehead for gender identity, but, you know, I think we are, within the LGBTQIA plus community, we are getting to a point where just living your life happily and unapologetically is part of doing the work to get us to that, to that future we're all imagining, you know? <laughs> so congratulations on being part of that. And congratulations, well, congratulations on, on also being part of that. <laughs> Thank you. role does fashion play in your life um attending red carpets as a gender non-conforming person like um do you have fun with fashion is it is it a 
is it an anxiety moment or or do you just kind of put on what you want to wear and then hit the red carpet? <laughs> I have not been to a lot of red carpets yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely remember when I was getting ready to go to the one of the politician, I was like, how gender do I want to present? Like, what do I want to wear? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and fashion for me, I think fashion for me. <sighs> oh gosh. I have a lot of feelings about it because I really like clothes and style, but I also am like, there's so much waste in the fashion industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are living in a climate crisis and I'm like, there's, yeah. there's so much product that is still being made and there's so much product that is not being made ethically. Um, so I'm really in a point where I'm trying to educate myself a lot more on, you know, fashion, especially sustainable fashion, um, which is something that, uh, the customer of the politician, um, who's really amazing person, uh, kind of helped me get a head start on. And like, she taught me the value of like trying to avoid fast fashion if you can, because of how it's produced. Um, but so that's, that's kind of like how I, how I think politically but my personal style uh (laughs) honestly like I wear a lot of stuff that makes me look like it's 1993 and I'm at a grunge concert like I (laughs) I wear a lot of I literally I wear a lot of like rich jeans um Mm -hmm. I really really like platform boots I have a lot of band t-shirts um uh and then sometimes I you know I wear like like lace you know excessively lacy sorts of things you know I feel very fluid sometimes I'm like yeah, I want to wear a suit and sometimes I'm like yes put me in that dress that's what I want to wear um but I haven't had a lot of opportunities to publicly like explore uh explore fashion um and there's not really a, there's not really any paparazzi in Chicago <laughs> which is where <laughs> I live so I'm able to live a little bit more anonymously yeah. um uh, fashion is also something that I think about a lot because uh, just because I'm like I I don't know because I'm, I'm still kind of newer to being in the public and like having a little bit of a public image, so to speak. Um, there's a lot that I'm like, how do I want to present? How do I want to look? What do I actually feel like wearing, you know, versus like, uh, uh, you know, what, what is trendy or like what will help me get a job or something like that. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of, a lot of thoughts about fashion. Uh, when I was younger, when I was a child, um, I would dress up in costumes constantly and just like show up at school like I wanted every day to be Halloween so I love I love dress up (laughs) um and I love uh I love I think that honestly one of my favorite things of acting about acting is getting to wear lots of different costumes Um, yeah it's it's just like like in my theater background has put me in a lot of positions where I do a lot of stuff that's like heavy makeup or um, like otherworldly creatures or things like that. I have like a Shakespeare background and I've like played the monsters and the fairies and things like yeah. that. Um, so like, I love fashion in air quotes in theater and in TV and film. Um, and the clothes that I get to wear for work are a lot more exciting than what I wear, uh, than yeah. what I wear every day. I mean, yeah, seriously, I'm, I'm, oh no. Oh no, my, my iPad's <laughs> getting low. I'm sorry if that made a noise. Um, oh, you're fine. Uh, yeah, I really am just kind of like in my everyday life, like a jeans, you know, t-shirt flannel, you know, very tall boots sort of person. Um, I'm not super tall. Uh, so I like wearing, I like wearing things that make me a little bit taller. Um, Yeah. I like getting myself on sustainable fashion. Yeah. What's up? I, um, 
I think where I relate is that I have to think so much about fashion for drag that then out of drag, all my clothing's black. And mostly it's like, um, mostly it's like a fitness clothes for, which is crazy since I like hate exercising. I'm not a big fitness person, but I say like if um if there was such a thing as yoga witch fashion, that's where I land. <laughs> like Ooh, yoga, that's nice. Uh, a, a yoga instructor who also also practices witchcraft. <laughs> that's oh. what I dress like. Some people might also call that health goth. <laughs> health goth. That's or a great sport, term for or it. sport goth. Um <laughs> I have. A I wear a lot of black too. Oh. <laughs> it makes it Blends so much easier as long as you match all it the blacks. Um, yes. I have a couple questions that I always ask, um, and I, um, it, it's l- way less to do with anything we've talked about thus far, and you can just you can just answer from your gut. Don't worry about being a figurehead for anyone. Just tell okay. us who you, Theo Germain would consider your celebrity crush. <laughs> Ooh, oh my God. Oh, I got to think about this. Oh, who's my celebrity crush? Oh my gosh. Daniel Craig. <laughs> I think Daniel Craig is so hot. <laughs> I am so um, terrible with names. Dipper, pull up. A, I, I'm, I always remember people by their faces, but Dipper will um, have us a picture of Daniel Craig real quick. Um, or you can just tell me uh, how I'd know him. <laughs> oh, he's James Bond. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, so you're into daddies. Okay, good to know. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're right. He's totally, he's totally um, yes, Daniel Craig, uh, I'm super into. Um, oh, God, who else? And I'm, am I like, oh, that person's really hot. I had a huge crush on Evan Rachel Wood for a long time. Mm-hmm uh also just like a huge a huge talent crush mm-hmm. um, oh gosh yeah daniel craig uh i mean and i'm big fans of these you know of these actors you know at the same time yeah um yes daniel craig and rachel wood those are two people that i think are amazing um i'll say my celebrity crush for yes. today um is Joel Fry, um, who he's done. Okay, so he was on this silly show that I watch. I think it's a British produced show called Plebs, and it's about the it's about ancient Rome, but it's all British actors playing ancient Romans. There he is, and now he's oh, in. Oh, handsome! Oh my god, he's very yeah. handsome. Now he's in Cruella. He plays Jasper in Cruella, which I just watched, and I was so excited to see him. <sighs> I have such I've a crush on Joel Fry. <laughs> Cruella oh was, I mean, it's high camp, um, and it doesn't feel oh, like yeah. a Disney movie. Um, my partner said oh, it feels feels more like a Marvel origin film rather than a Disney movie. That's cool. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. It's very campy, and there's tons of amazing performances in it. And um, I will I will say I really enjoyed it, but I don't want to force that opinion on anyone else, but to watch it for the costumes and and a lot of the very Emma character. Stone's voice. <laughs> yeah, Emma Stone's voice. Emma Thompson is amazing in it. Um, uh, oh, Jamie Demetrio is in it, who is the brother of one of my past guests, Natasha Demetrio, and he played Whoa. one of the like one of the best like kind of he's only in a chunk of the movie but his performance was amazing so anyway check it out for the performances and the costume oh, I, i'm excited to watch it <laughs> i'm gonna watch it soon i'm very excited about it what is your 
go-to karaoke song? Funny you should ask this question because I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have been terrified of karaoke for a long time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I uh, have a similar, I've had issues with having a similar anxiety about karaoke um, as I have to improv. <laughs> so I'm like, it's not rehearsed. Um, uh, where are my lines? Uh, and sometimes I fit. Sometimes I have the tendency to forget a lot of song lyrics or think mm-hmm. that somebody is saying some. I'm the person who like thinks that somebody's saying something else. Um, oh yeah, you know, I've learned a I, lot I of songs a- phonetically, <laughs> and then it's a rude awakening when you see the lyrics all yes. spelled out for you. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, but I, so I, I decided that I was going to try to use the pandemic to get over my, <laughs> over my <laughs> irrational fear of karaoke, mm-hmm. um, because I really, really want to go to karaoke bars with my friends. Um, I think that if I were to pick something, it would probably be something from musical theater, mm-hmm. uh, because I'm, I'm definitely secretly a musical theater guy. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so it might be something from like Cabaret or Chicago, because uh, I really like I really like those flavor of musicals, or it might be, it might be some kind of song that was very popular, you know, between the years of like 1998 and 2006. I listened yeah. to a lot of like emo music and things like that, you know, when I was in high school and middle school. So it probably would be like, like uh, you know, Fallout Boy or <laughs> like you know. Some something from some kind of. Uh, I, some I kind feel of like I have. I don't know if this is a premonition or a vision, but I feel like I can see you singing um, "One Hand in My Pocket" from um, "Jagged Little Pill." Uh, yes. Oh my <laughs> like God. Yeah. No. Can that's, I have one that's... hand in my pocket. <laughs> I would probably have to change the key. Yeah. Yes. That's that's a good. No. That's that's actually like spot on. That's something that I would totally do. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I'm, I'm getting to know so much about <laughs> thank you. you. <laughs> well, thank you so much um, for our conversation today, Theo. Um, congratulations. And I'm wishing you all the continued success. Thanks. And um, I hope you get more red carpet moments so you can uh, uh, keep playing around with uh, what, what to wear on a red carpet. <laughs> thank you. Thank it's you, always James. such a mystery. Um <laughs> Where can um, my listeners find you um, on social media? Oh, I'm just on Twitter and Instagram at my name, Theo Germain. I'm not like super active on social media right now because I'm really tired. Congratulations. Um, I'm trying to (laughs) detox myself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that is where you can find me. I also have a Facebook page, but I don't, I don't really use it very much. Um, Let's just, let's leave it. Yeah. Because I think Facebook's on the way out, but I I won't say it too loudly in case Facebook's listening, you know, through my iPhone or whatever. But uh, (laughs) thank you so much for being such a wonderful guest today, Theo Germain. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Sorry, I was going into my robotic, like... (laughs) You're so considered. I I should have left room for (laughs) for you to be kind in return. But thank you, Theo. And thanks so much for listening to Hijinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. 
My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at The Jinx on Instagram or Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Hi Jinx! to Hi Jinx ad free and one day early sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus make sure to follow at Forever Dog Team and at Mom Podcasts on social and rate and review Hi Jinx five stars on Apple Podcasts Spotify Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts Hi Jinx is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, aka Mom. Hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon. Produced by Big Dipper. Editing and sound design by Will Pitts. Executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.